I get questions almost daily from the Coaching for Leaders community, and once a month, we open up the show to respond to your questions. Today is that day. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 335. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. One of the ways that we work to make the show as practical as possible is to include your voice in it. That's why once a month we open it up to your questions. And of course, your questions are constantly influencing the decisions that I make on the invitations that I give to guests to come onto the show and the topics that are picked. So even if your question hasn't been featured that you've sent in before, know that I've read it, in some cases responded to you directly, but it is absolutely influencing my thinking on what we feature here on the show as, some of the, as far as some of the experts and the wisdom we bring on. And, uh, and speaking of experts' wisdom, and of course, my best friend in the world, I'm glad to welcome back to the show, Bonnie Stahoviak. Hello, Bonnie. Hello, Dave, and hello to everyone who is listening. I'm excited about today's questions and conversation. We have a lot. We're going to get through as many as we can. We've had a ton coming in the last 30 days. Uh, so let's jump right into the first, quen- uh, first question, if I can talk, from Lindsay. Lindsay wrote in and said, I'm looking for articles to provide to newly promoted leaders all in their early to mid-20s on how to be someone's friend, but also to be someone's trainer. For most of them, this is their first real job out of college, and after one year, they're eligible to be promoted to a leadership role where they train a new employee. Yes, I try to provide the knowledge and coaching, but it's not easy to coach someone on how to separate being someone's friend and being their trainer. This is something that has been an issue when the new leader needs to provide constructive feedback, and they're nervous because they're also friends with that person. I want to provide them a resource to help them learn the skill of being someone's friend and trainer and knowing how to handle both. Bonnie, I'm going to let you tackle this one first because, of course, you work with students and and young people who are very much at this age. Oh, absolutely. I chuckled a little bit, Lindsay, when I read the very first part of your message. I'm looking for articles, and I stopped right there and skimmed on to the mid, early to mid 20s and thought, well, we're people are doing a lot less reading of things than they are listening to podcasts or or watching YouTube videos or that sort of thing. So I sort of chuckled at that, but by no means would I want to be insulting our early to mid-20s because I did see a study recently that said they're actually reading somewhat more than even people who are in their 40s like Dave and I are. So um, who knows? I have a couple recommendations, uh, but but mostly would just say I'm so glad, Lindsay, that you are thinking about the importance of this and really getting people to think more deeply about the change in relationships. I have two recommendations. First off, I laughed the way that our brains work because I was thinking, what is this tool that I'm thinking about? And the guy's last name is Pipe and it's Flowchart. And then finally I came to <laughs> I finally came to the the book recommendation, which a book might be too much for what you're thinking of, but I did want to mention the book has the best Title. Well, the first part of it's not the best, but wait, wait, it gets better as it goes. <laughs> Analyzing performance problems, or you really ought to wanna, how to figure out why people aren't doing what they should be and what to do about it. So this is a book that's written by Pipe, and that's why I was thinking of the name Pipe, Peter Pipe and Robert Mager. 
Robert Mager is really known in the training industry as having written some really pinnacle books that are short, easily digestible, very creatively written that are a set of, he calls it the Mager six pack. And what a wonderful investment that was for me. I don't know if they're selling it quite like that anymore. You can buy them used, but it's just a wonderful investment and some great books. So this book really looks at the problem where so often we think of, you know, human beings are really complex. These people aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. What do I do about it? And sometimes people will automatically go to they need training. And that's oftentimes not what they need. If a book is too much beyond what you want to do, I was able to order some of these flow charts and the flow chart just basically walks you through is the behavior what you were hoping for. Yes, it is. Oh, great. And then there's some things you could do. And then if it's not walking you through step by step, and I cannot tell you how many times I've either thought about the book or their flow chart or actually pulled it out when working with people that I'm coaching. It's just a wonderful tool. And Peter Pipe in his, sounds such a, such a tongue twister of a name. <laughs> he has a set where you could buy a package of like 10 of them. I'm sure Dave, as he's looking at the show notes, can try to see what he can find out there. But you could distribute just the flow chart with some additional information just about that part of the tool. And it really would both generate some great conversations, but also be a real job aid for these young people as they're thinking about making these shifts. And of course, one of the things that'll happen, human beings are complex, is the motivation just won't be there or people won't be as equipped as we would hope they would be. So that's a great resource. And then the second one, which came out in 1975, has been around for a long time and I still cannot tell you how often I think about it. I have mentioned it before on the show, but it's been a while. It's from the Academy of Management Journal. The author is Stephen Kerr. And the title of it is On the Folly of Rewarding A While Expecting B. And it really gets us to look at the complexity of human beings and how so many of our rewards systems are flawed. The most common example that I can remember from the article would be we stress as an organization, it's so vital that we work as teams. Teamwork is everything. It's in our value statement. We've got it in posters on the wall. Everyone's carrying a keychain about teamwork. And then how do we reward people for individual performance? And that's just one example of many that's in this article. And though it was written back in the 70s, every time I have ever picked it back up again and read it, it just rings true and it gets us talking and thinking about the ways in which we might consider enhancing our rewards systems because one of the less mature ways we might think about rewarding people is always with money and then even money that kind of gets misdirected, sort of the carrot approach or a stick approach. And there's a lot of other ways we can think about reward systems. So that is one of the ways that our roles start to shift as we do begin to have a little bit of more of a reporting relationship going on with people. So I wish you the best. And I know Dave has some thoughts on this one as well. So I'll pass it over to him. Lindsay, this is such an important skill to be teaching young people is how to navigate relationships in the workplace. And at the same time, needing to sometimes give feedback and sometimes to um, uh, to give some coaching and how to do that in a way that's healthy. And I would really encourage you not only to have those conversations um, because, of course, 
this is not going to be the first time they're going to run up against that in their careers. And if they can get comfortable with that now, not only is it going to be really helpful to you and your organization, but it's going to really serve them well. So part of what I would do is as you are working with them, to Bonnie's point, rather than maybe just giving an article or giving a resource, is to have the conversation about what an important skill this is and framing the importance of it and how it's going to really help them going forward to navigate uh, some some really complex situations in the workplace. And I know Bonnie and I have both, for different reasons, been uh, were early on in our careers around a lot of different people, and in some cases, managing people who are much older than us in a very different ages. And we learned early on in our careers how to step beyond some of those traditional barriers. And one of them is, of course, the friendships. And how do you bridge friendships when you're moving into a leadership role? And a resource that will be both helpful to you, Lindsay, and I think if you listen to, will help you to coach them, or it could be a resource you pass along to them, is a while back, Tom Henschel and I recorded a conversation on how to manage former peers. It's episode 257. It's about 30 minutes of some of the key strategies that you and anyone else can use uh, to really think about how you navigate that relationship. And, And probably one of the most important points that I think Tom made is Uh, how you set the stage for the relationship being different. When someone moves into a leadership role and they do have a friendship with someone else in the workplace, and oftentimes many friendships, how do you reset that relationship? And it is important to reset. The relationship does change. It's not just a friendship anymore. It's not just that we're colleagues anymore when that person moves into a new role. And it's not that you can't be friendly. It's not that that all of those things have to disappear, but it does change change the nature of the relationship. And having a conversation about that and being intentional about it really helps reduce a lot of the complexities that can get in the way down the road if they're not addressed. One way or another, it's going to be addressed. So having a conversation up front, ideally between those two people, uh, of about how the relationship is changing and how expectations are changing are key. And there's a ton more in episode 257. So check that out. I think it'll be really helpful to you. Lindsay, let us know what you decide to do, what works, what doesn't work, so we can pass it along to everyone else. And thanks so much for the question. We really appreciate it. I really enjoyed this next question. It's an audio question, and it comes to Dave and I from across the pond. Hi, Dave and Bonnie. Um, My name's Mina, and I am a listener from Oxford in the United Kingdom. I have a question regarding overwhelm and sort of finding that motivation. You know, how do you get that mojo, as I'll call it, back to get back on your feet and be, you know, as powerful, as strong, as dedicated and committed as you have been. A bit about my background, I am a doctor. I have a very, very important transition here ahead of me in terms of I'm now at the end of a very long training period of about 10 years. And I have been, you know, going at the speed of light for quite some time. And I guess like most human beings, I've reached a point where I am exhausted, but I I have some of the most important work uh, yet to do. And also, this is really not a good time for me to to lose my motivation and to lose momentum. So any advice that you feel you could give me on this subject, I would greatly appreciate and be looking to try out. So thank you very much. Bye-bye. Mina, thank you so much for the question. So many of us have been there. I know I have uh, in this place where that motivation seems to have 
disappeared for a time or a season. I know Bonnie has uh, has certainly had that happen as well. What I hear you saying is, how can I, how can I get back in? What are the ways to jumpstart, find your mojo, as as you said? And I I can share my experience, and I'm really curious what Bonnie will say too. My experience has been, and I, I it seems like in the last few years I've noticed this more about myself is when I hit those times in my career, when I know I'm on the right path in the long run, and when I know that I am doing the things I want to be doing, but for whatever day, whatever reason, rather, that day or that week or that month, I'm just not feeling it, I have learned to not beat myself up too much about that. Uh, I remember the quote from Julius Irving who said, being a professional is doing the things you love to do on the days you don't feel like doing them. And uh, that's not to answer your question, Mina, by any means. Uh, but it's, I think that quote for me is a reminder that sometimes the things we love to do, we run into those times in our careers where we do not like to do them. I have had those times in doing this show over the last seven years where I've hit weeks or months where I was like, oh, you know, I just, I'm not feeling the motivation. You know, I'm, I'm going through, I'm doing the things I normally do but I'm not feeling that motivation. And so uh, one thing I'd, I'd hope for you, and I hope for myself, and I certainly coach people on, is to give yourself some grace. You've been going, it sounds like, at a pace for a very long time. And I know you're hitting a season that is going to be, uh, sounds like even more intense, um, is to allow yourself the permission to not feel that motivation every moment and to know that part of a journey of a life and a career is those dark times and the times that you don't feel confident and the times that you doubt yourself and the times where the energy and the motivation is not there. The other thing that I have found to be in- incredibly helpful to me, and uh, certainly I've seen this in the research too, is being able to um, define what success looks like in the short term. So you have a long-term goal. Clearly, you've been working on it a long time. But what would success look like today uh, and maybe even this hour? And I think one of the real challenges for, for those of us who are working on a project or a career that maybe spans 5 or 10 or 15 years, those long-term projects, it is very, very easy to lose sight of that long-term goal because it is so far away and so much work is involved. And setting an interim success point for yourself, uh, even to the point of like, what can I do that if I complete today is going to be success today? Uh, Dale Carnegie, you know, almost 100 years ago, really challenged people in his book, How to uh, Stop Worrying and Start Living, to live in daytime compartments. What is the one thing you can do today or accomplish today that if you finish that, you will feel a level of success? And I, I used to think that was silly. And now after having done it more, I realize the importance of having a win each day to my own psychological well-being. That if I have two or three things I focused on doing today, even if they're little things, even if it's just I've got 45 minutes today to do something that is not taken up by all the other things I need to do, if I define for myself what that is and I achieve it at the end of the day, that in the short term, that psychological well-being, that win helps me to get through those times better. So that, in addition to giving myself grace, has has really helped a bunch. Bonnie, what what has worked for you in doing this uh, when you've hit these times? Mina, your question really resonated with me as well. And I have been through 
seasons that sound very similar to what you described and are also concerned about with this upcoming time. I am absolutely convinced in the healing power and sustaining power of 10-minute walks. And if you could find a way to build in two 10-minute walks into every day in your work, I suspect that you would find a transformative effect in that. And one of the things I know would likely come up in that is, well, you don't understand, I have patience and you know, I just it's just not possible. And I would push back a little bit in that if we're not able to just even take two 10-minute walks, then something really does need to be reconfigured about our work because we weren't really built to have that sustained of just intense nonstop. I mean, that, that that's not a sustainable for you to get through the year that you're about to have. So that, that would be one thing. And while I don't do medicine for a living, I do a lot of healing conversations. I've talked with students who have lost a parent, been sexually assaulted, parents who are addicts or parents who are having long-term health challenges. I mean, so in many ways, my days are filled with these kinds of conversations that it's hard to take a break from. Yet it is just absolutely vital that we do that. And on a more sustainable note, when you ask, how do you protect yourself from this? Or how do you bring yourself back once you've, you've started to feel that loss? I find just the ability to build more margin into our lives as essential. And one of the things that Dave and I do, we, we loosely follow a book, a system called Getting Things Done. This is off of a book by a man named David Allen. And he talks about capturing those commitments that we've made either to other people or even to ourselves and having a system that keeps track of our commitments, our projects, having lists of projects. And what I do is I look at a given week and I'll put in their blocks of time, especially right now, because I'm on a thing at work that is requiring anywhere from six to 10 hours of reading a week, which that, I mean, went from like, <laughs> I don't even know, besides grading less than an hour of reading for my job per week, to all the way up to six to 10. That was a huge jump for me to do that intensive reading. And it's very evaluative reading. It's tough. It's, it's intense. And then a six hour meeting every week. And so my whole entire work structure, I basically just lost two days of work essentially is what that means. And so now I'm being very purposeful about, okay, with what's left, as Stephen Covey talked about, let's put the big rocks in first. So I'm doing that as I look at my projects list and as I look at the tasks that are under those projects list, but I can't just cram it in such that there's no room for other thing because every day is going to contain email. And every day is going to contain some interruptions. And some of those interruptions can be managed to try to recognize that this season I'm just not able to take on every every passerby that might come past my office. But at the same time, I need to be flexible. I need to be adjustable. As Dave and I sit here recording this right now, our daughter is ill, home from school and is in the other room. And the last thing I'll leave you with is just related to her is just, yes, have the margin in there, but be adaptable. And this morning when we, we Dave took her temperature and we knew she was not going to be going to school, I could be like, ah, everything's going to fall apart. Well, there's a couple reasons why things didn't fall apart. 
I have margin. I didn't leave that six hours to 10 hours of reading a week until the last minute. If I had, I would have let my colleagues down because it just wouldn't have been possible with that change in plans. So getting things done early, leaving enough room so we're not working always up to the moment is a freeing thing. I just wish you the best. I hope to hear from you maybe halfway through your year just to see how it's going. I'd love to have you check in with us and let you know if any of these these work. Thank you for the question, Mina. Let's uh, tackle our next question here from Lana. Lana asks, I or wrote in and said, I focus on leadership development and organizational excellence. One of the 2018 big rocks for me is to research slash create a low budget or free platform for tracking and managing our internal leadership academy reports. We currently work with about 15 cohorts, about 30 people each. The leaders we train through leadership academy workshops have to submit action plans followed by interim and final reports. Currently, we manage everything through basic email and Excel tracking. But as our participation grows, the system is simply unsustainable. It would really, I'd really be appreciative to learn of any best practices and technical solutions for easy tracking, commenting, and self-commenting on the leadership action plans. Lana, I put in this question because I looked at Bonnie. She looked at me. We kind of both threw up our hands on this one because I don't know of a good system. And um, I have certainly had a few that have come across my radar screen in the last few years. And it seems like there has not been one that I've seen that's emerged for a, a software as a service tracking of either for what you're talking about is like internally leadership development programs, or I've seen a number of these uh, software as a service programs come and go for coaches uh, to track learning development, professional development plans, goal setting. I have not found anyone that I've used that stuck or uh, that I have heard of that I could even give you a name. So I wanted to put this out there because I know we have many people in many size organizations who are involved in learning and development in some way. And I'm really curious what people are using out there because I would love to get in and dig in more on this uh, for you, Lana. And maybe we'll even do a show on this if we can track down a couple of good systems and look at some best practices for this. So uh, my call to action for all of you is if you are listening and you have a recommendation for a system is go over to coachingforleaders.com slash 335 Put a comment on this episode. Uh, that way we can all see it, start to look at investigating some more of these systems, see if we can track one down. Uh, by the way, the one I was aware of, and uh, even a few of our Academy members had tapped into, was Radical Candor's app that um, Kim Scott was on the show last year and talked a little bit about that when she appeared. And I looked up some information on that for uh, answering this question, and it turns out they're not doing it anymore. So <laughs> it seems to be the pattern with these things. Uh, when you hear about one, then all of a sudden it disappears. So I I'm not sure if that's a message for uh, there's just not the market for it, or someone just hasn't put together the right one. But uh, hopefully we can f get a few ideas out there and give you some suggestions on how you may approach this honor. Or maybe we'll hear that it's uh, it's you know not working for people and uh, some of the lessons learned. So again, coachingforleaders.com slash 335 if you have a suggestion for us. Let's go ahead and tackle our next question uh, from Stephanie. Stephanie writes, I listened to your Monday podcast number 330. This was very timely since I am doing a presentation on finding our blind spots. I was going to recommend to my small group that we do 360s. In this podcast, you stated that this might not be the best option if we don't have support to walk us through it. My group does not have the support. My question is, what would we use instead of 360s? Are there any resources you would recommend that would be a good starting place for investing in finding our blind spots. For your information, it's a group of eight people, cross-section, and a mentoring group. 
in a large telecommunication company. Stephanie, thanks for asking. She's referencing our response to uh, someone else thinking about doing 360s for their team on episode 330. And my advice was uh, 360s can be really, really helpful and very powerful tools, but having an entire team do them all at once, uh, especially if you don't have someone who's an expert to facilitate that process, could potentially be a little risky and you could dig up a lot that you don't necessarily want to dig up. So um, I won't go into depth on that, the answers in in episode 330 uh, for that reason. But also, uh, we are going to be doing an episode coming up on 360s. In fact, Tom Henschel is going to be coming back to the show and we're going to talk in depth about 360s. So uh, more on that coming. But to to answer your question directly, Stephanie, yeah, there's a number of different tools that I'd recommend that not only I think will achieve the same thing you're looking for, which is how do you unearth some blind spots? How do you get conversation going amongst the team? But also to do it in such a way where you don't have to have someone with the same level of expertise and also I think will be a lot less of an investment for the organization. And there's several tools that will allow for that. One of them is the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, MBTI. Uh, It's featured pretty heavily in Patrick Lencioni's book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. He talks about uh, in that book how to utilize MBTI in order to unearth different personality preferences. Uh, All all of the the tools, by the way, have their strengths and have their drawbacks. Um, MBTI, though, is one that there's a huge ecosystem built around. And there's a ton of materials. And so uh, while it's always great to have an expert to come in and facilitate, I think it's one that you could, if you have some knowledge as a leader about the assessment and about the different personality types, that you can have enough of a conversation to begin to start to look at some of the different patterns and how different kinds of people in the workplace make different decisions. And one of the things that's great about MBTI is there's no wrong answer. You can't take that assessment and come out with something that says, you know, you're, you're good or you're bad. It's not that kind of an assessment. It's, it's purely looking at preferences in your personality. Another assessment that is really helpful in doing that is DISC. Uh, DISC allows for that too, of really being able to, on a broad brushstroke, have people start to look at how are we different? How do we frame different things and handle different things? Um, I think probably the easiest one to use, probably least expensive, and probably the most accessible because it gives you such great language around it is StrengthsFinder. And we've talked about that a few times on the show recently. StrengthsFinder, the simplest version of the assessment uh, at the time we're recording this, I think it's like $15 or $20 a person. So it's very inexpensive. It's highly regarded in the marketplace. It's been utilized by many organizations for helping people to build language around what their strengths are. Uh, and like the like the other assessments, it's not like you can take it and there be a wrong answer because everyone has strengths and everyone has areas that they're not strong on. So you can really have a conversation about what do people do well on the team, and that very naturally will bring up uh, for many teams conversation about, you know, what are our blind spots too? And I think you'll get a lot of the conversation that you would get coming out of people doing a 360 without all of the potential political baggage or risk that would come out of having tons of people do a 360 at once and unearthing feedback and all of that. By the way, if you ever do something like that, I think one of these assessments is also a really great place to start because you also set the stage in your organization. If you do go eventually and do 360s, you set the stage for the organization and the team to start getting used to having conversations about other people's personality preferences and how different people approach different things. And so if you go on to do a 360 or maybe other or maybe some of the individuals go on to do a 360, you lay the groundwork 
for some trusting and some um, uh, some effective conversations just by doing one of these, what we would call more of an individual assessment. And then finally, I'd recommend listening, if you haven't already, if you do use StrengthsFinder, listening to episode 293, Lisa Cummings was on that show and talked about how to leverage StrengthsFinder for your team. There's a ton of advice in that episode on how to utilize StrengthsFinder in a practical way if you're doing it yourself. Uh, Lisa, by the way, is also a fabulous resource. She does a ton for organizations, not only in person, but virtually in supporting managers and teams to utilize StrengthsFinder well. Uh, LeadThroughStrengths.com is her website, and I'll put a link to her in the show notes. Uh, She's a wonderful person to reach out to, and she has a podcast too, um, on really helping you to utilize StrengthsFinder in a way that really give you a lot of practical benefit for your team. So uh, Stephanie, I hope that gives you a few things that you may start with that will, I think, get you a long way toward your goal and build a really great ongoing conversation in your organization, but it will, will be not only a lot less complex, but a lot less um, of an investment than doing 360s would be. So Stephanie, I hope that's helpful. Bonnie, what uh, thoughts do you have? I echo Dave's feedback about the strengths of StrengthsFinder and how accessible that it is. I would caution you perhaps even more than Dave did in terms of not using the MBTI or DISC without someone who's certified in those tools. We see so often that he, he talked about, for example, with the MBTI, there is no such thing in that assessment of good versus bad. Yet if you put it in the hands of someone who isn't certified in it, they will start to frame things as good or bad. The other thing that was really stressed when Dave and I became certified is you are not this. We cannot take all of human psychology, all of our personality, and just put them down to 16 types. So I would never say I am an ENFJ. I wouldn't say that. We would use instead the word preference. I have a preference for this. I have a preference for that. And there also are some ways in which the different letters are interrelated that don't come out very much unless you're really working with a trained professional. So I think StrengthsFinder is a wonderful model. You're looking to discover blind spots. So it could seem strange that someone would say, well, yeah, you want to uncover your blind spots? How about finding out what your strengths are? What's fascinating to me about the way we can think about our strengths is that anytime the volume gets turned up too loud on them, they can actually become our weaknesses. And some tools, some frames talk about this as the shadow self. So if I'm really good at relationships, that's one of my greatest strengths. If the volume gets turned up too loud on that strength, it could potentially be that I'm not able to fulfill those task commitments that I've made or tend to them in the way that I might. Or I may, like the earlier question, I may stress too much the friendship aspect of my relationship with a colleague as opposed to some of the ways that we both need to be helping each other move forward toward a goal. I'm just using a couple of examples, but I do think that the Strengths Finder will help. Another thing that I think I want to just leave you with, Stephanie, is infusing into your culture the asking for feedback on a regular basis. And Dave had some great guests on. I'm sure he'll come up with their names as soon as I explain what they talked about, about what's the one thing I can do or what's the one thing I'm doing that's holding me back from being as effective as I want to be. Dave, what was that? Oh, Sheila Heen, uh, her book, Thanks for the Feedback. Yeah. I mean, if we just regularly ask that question of each other in this organization, this group of eight people and got 
past the point of just the discomfort doing that, you would realize all sorts of benefits. You don't need certification to do that. You don't need a book even. <laughs> just although, I mean, Sheila's book is wonderful, but but just that practice of making it first okay to ask that question and then even taking it to just celebrating the all the riches that come when we do this. I wish you the absolute best. And Dave, I know next we have a question from William. William wrote in and said, I've been in a leadership position for a number of years over the same staff of 10 people. They're an amazing group of people who do an incredible job at what they do. We've developed an awesome, uh, incredible community that works more as a family than a team. I just found out that I'm going to have to leave my position in order to relocate and take care of a sick family member. I know my team will be gracious to me, but do you have any advice on how to end well? Thanks. What an exciting and bittersweet time, William. I'm so glad that you're thinking about these things. The first book that came to mind in thinking about your question is William Bridges' book called Managing Transitions. He is best known for his book called Transitions, and then he followed it up with a wonderful leadership book about managing transitions. And one of the things that really struck me that might be beneficial to you, which sounds like you're already doing it, is to mark these seasons in our lives to, or in our team's lives in this case, to mark them, to recognize that they are occurring. He gives a much more extreme example in terms of even you know losing a colleague. The colleague isn't just going to work for another company. The colleague is no longer alive. And one of the things I was just so touched by many, many moons ago was uh, someone actually that Dave and I went to school with talked about someone passing away in their HR department and then planting a tree in that person's memory and just that marking of the grief and the loss and then this beautiful symbol of the life of the tree that life you know that life goes on this person continues to have an impact even though they aren't with us anymore. I'm glad you're thinking about these things, William. I would encourage you to check out the checklist that's involved in William Bridges Managing Transitions. It's a really quick read and a great resource to have on your bookshelf and also to think a little bit about how you might mark this transition together. And then how to support your team during the transition as well. So knowing that this transition is upcoming, what are the things you can do now that will set them up for success, that will set up the next person, either if that next manager leader is coming from someone within the team or coming externally, what are the kinds of things that you could do that can provide the documentation, the expectations that will help them to make that transition as smooth as possible? And then I think finally, just stating the obvious and and being very open as you are, have been with us of that things are going to be different. There's going to be this transition that's going to come and it's going to mean change for everyone in the organization. And your willingness to be open and honest about this season of life, I think is going to really serve you well uh, in making this a transition that is as smooth as possible for the people and for the organization. Tons of related episodes to today's conversation. If you go to coachingforleaders.com slash podcast, you'll see all of the library listed by topic. And if you click on the feedback topic, you, one of the episodes you'll come across is episode 143, how to get way better at accepting feedback. Bonnie mentioned Sheila Heen's book, Thanks for the Feedback. She was on that episode talking about how to really accept feedback in a productive and proactive way. She's also one of the original authors 
of the book that came out of Harvard uh, years ago, which was a blockbuster bestseller, Difficult Conversations. So that episode is worth a listen, episode 143. Also, we mentioned episode 184, Getting Things Done with David Allen. Uh, Bonnie mentioned the Getting Things Done methodology during our conversation today. If you're in the podcast library and click the productivity button, that's one of the episodes you're going to track down. David Allen talked about his system and took questions from our listening community on that episode. Uh, If you keep scrolling through the catalog here, you're going to find a button that says New Leaders. I've tagged in the podcast library podcasts that I think are really effective for folks who are new to leadership. And one of those episodes you'll find is episode 257, How to Manage Former Peers. I mentioned that earlier uh, in this conversation. Uh, Tom Henschel and I spent an entire episode talking through what are some of the strategies that those of us who are moving up and are managing people who used to be peers should be taking in order to make that transition a lot smoother. Again, that's episode 257. There's a button in the library on assessments. Uh, We've talked about many assessments over the years on Coaching for Leaders. We talked in detail about StrengthsFinder, and I mentioned episode 293 earlier, how to leverage StrengthsFinder for your team. Lisa Cummings was on that episode talking about what you can do as a leader if you're using StrengthsFinder within your organization to maximize the benefit of that assessment, more importantly, to be able to really illuminate conversation and dialogue amongst your team that's going to not only help you to recognize strengths, but also, as Bonnie was talking about, to start to illuminate some of those challenges and blind spots and where strengths can be overused, a lot of value in episode 293. And then finally, uh, believe it or not, there's a button in the podcast library called Energy Management. And we've had a bunch of episodes on how to manage your energy. And Mina's question got me thinking about episode 332. Uh, Recently, Daniel Pink was on the show talking about the scientific secrets of perfect timing. We talked about some of the key things you can do in order to time your day well. Bonnie's suggestion about going out for a walk uh, actually relates right to that conversation because the research that uh, Daniel Pink has uncovered is showing that taking breaks, taking naps, uh, getting sleep is really powerful in our productivity. It's not the thing that most of us think to do, but uh, I know I've actually made some pretty big adjustments here this year on starting to rethink how I'm planning my schedule just based around some of the research that Daniel Pink has done. So check out all those past episodes. And if you don't already have your free membership active, you can just go to coachingforleaders.com, activate your free membership that will give you access to that entire library, searchable by topic. You'll also get immediate access to my free 10-day audio course titled 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. It'll get you started on some of the key lessons from this show over the last seven years. If you'll give me 10 minutes a day for 10 days, it'll help you to get some practical action to become a better leader. Again, that's all at coachingforleaders.com. Next week, I am pleased to welcome to the show Dr. Edith Eager. She's going to be joining me to speak about her new book, The Choice. She is a renowned psychologist and a survivor of Auschwitz. And she's going to be teaching us about how to make choices to embrace what's possible. She's 90 years old. You're not going to want to miss the conversation. Join me next week for that. Thank you this week to Oscar Trimboli for the kind review you left on iTunes. Thank you so much, Oscar, down in Australia. I so appreciate it. I read all the reviews. Always uh, makes my day to 
see those posted up on iTunes. Hey, if you've been listening to the show for a bit and you feel like you've heard enough to leave a review on iTunes, I'm always grateful for those. Go to coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes or just search on whatever app you're using. Thanks so much. Have a great week and see you next week with Edith Eager. Take care.